Coming up on episode 190 of Wheel Bearings, we're driving the 2021 Toyota Avalon Limited, Hyundai Elantra SEL, and the 2022 Acura MDX Advance. We talk about the Kia EV6 and the Biden administration's American Jobs Plan for Infrastructure. And a couple of your questions wrap us up. That's all ahead on episode 190 of Wheel Bearings. Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samich from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeland from Autobytel. Autobytel this week. Yeah, I figured Excellent. it was their turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you going alphabetically or? <laughs> I'm just going whatever randomly pops in my head first that I haven't said yet. All right. Okay. Nice. Uh, well, while you're on the hot seat, why don't you tell us what you're driving this week? I am driving a Toyota Avalon. They Living love- like you're 90. Living like I'm 90. It was funny. I had to just write up a thing for um, one of the outlets I'm with. Like it was like this history back to 2005, like what the generation changes were. And they gave me the Avalon. I'm like, oh, and this is the year the bench seats disappeared. Holy cow. This thing is so old. It had bench seats. They, they, kept, they had benches in the, in the Avalon until 2005. It was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, that's how far back I ended up having to go. So it was like 2005 or so. It was recent. It was more recent than I would have thought. That's you yeah. still have the front bench seat. Of course, you know, it, Lexus was the last company to offer a car in the U.S. with a cassette player. And the, the old SC430. Really? Yeah, you remember the old yeah. SC430 convertible, the hardtop convertible? That was, that the, was last the last one. one with a cassette player in the U.S. market. We haven't yet gotten to the last and that was CD like player. 2011 or 12, I think. Yeah. I got, but see, I like having the CD player if it has a nice audio system. Because, um, well, I guess now it's less of an issue because all the wireless stuff sounds pretty good. I'm using Apple yeah. Music. It sounds decent, but... Uh, you still have CDs. I don't even oh, think yeah. I own a CD anymore. Well, I'm I'm very geeky about audio and CDs are an uncompressed source and they are really, if they're done well, they're indistinguishable from the master tapes nerd. or whatever master request. So I'm just a, yeah, I'm a total well. nerd about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they're done well. Um, and I just, I like having physical media, just okay. it's reliable and just go with it. Just fine. Just nod and smile like the rest of my family does. Um, sure. <laughs> hey, so the, if, the, if, he, if he could get a turntable to, to work in the car, he would probably just use have that. that on the seat. Yeah, like, I'd get like right this just or or tube it was, Yeah. Put a little like something there to like give it its own little suspension system so it doesn't skip as you drive along mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. Yeah. I just get one of the, the one of the old ones from the Chryslers back in the fifties and sixties where they had the turntable my husband had a boom box in the back of his car very many years ago that had a cd player in it because there wasn't one in his car but every time he went over a bump 
it yeah, would skip. it would skip. So he had this, and he's an engineer. I think you have to be an engineer to appreciate what you can do with bungee cords. And he had them like <laughs> through oh, the no. straps, like for the little handles. And they were saying, and it's like he could like watch, and it would like he, it would just bounce, and it wouldn't skip because it would just kind of <laughs> be, be, be suspended, like like the uh, microphone here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He it's did like it in the back of the car with this when we were in college. <laughs> Four hundred dollars worth of bungee cords when you could have just gone and bought the disc man with the memory buffer in it that no would've... you were gonna do that he, he had a ready supply of bungee cords uh, he did okay. not have the Sony right. disc man <laughs> all right that's you know what that's creative thinking hey, college every good engineer has there, there there are certain things every good engineer has bungee cords mm-hmm. zip ties oh my god velcro and duct tape <laughs> All of those, those, those are the key tools <laughs> we, of any engineer. We have a gate for the dog upstairs. Do you know how it's secured? Zip ties. So there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, zip ties are nice and secure and they're cheap. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I keep fixing the um the drum pedal on my son's drum kit with a, a zip tie. The little strap broke and oh then just like, just put a zip tie, tie on it. it, it zip tie, yeah. Everything, everything you listed, Sam, you're spot on. That is like in the official like engineers. Like you have graduated from college. Here you go. Have this. Go with God. Yeah, I mean, when, 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 when you, you know, on your first day, it's part of your orientation kit. You open up the orientation <laughs> kit. There it is. There's a bag of zip ties, <laughs> a roll of duct tape, <laughs> some Velcro and some bungee cords. Well, what's the, um, What's the shorthand that you really only need two things, uh, WD-40 and duct tape? If it moves and it shouldn't, duct tape it. If it, right. if it doesn't and it should, WD-40. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's about right. But you don't really need one can. Like if you're, we have a multitude of cans, little cans, large cans. They're on cabinets. There's like, there's so much WD-40 in my garage. I'm like, just pick one and use it. We don't need one can in every square foot of space. Well, it has home. a nice bouquet. It can double as um, aftershave. Little, ro- yeah, a little, Okay. <laughs> smell nice anyway let's get back to the avalon which started off in the 90s as a really great toyota buick and i i feel like now it's graduated to like an oldsmobile it's it's just it's a nice car it's It's like the the last big full-size four-door sedan yeah and it's like driving it like it's i felt like i i I did feel like i should have been like 20 years older than i am i'm like i felt very young for this avalon and it's great but it's funny it's like it's not it's not cheap this one is $45,479. $45,479. So it's not exactly a cheap choice. And it was nice inside, but it wasn't, it, it's just not something that you look at and you feel like it's beautiful and modern and amazing. You're kind of like, okay. It is, it is nice though. I did, the last Avalon I was in was a couple of years ago, but I, mm-hmm. I did like it. You know, it's, it's well done. The controls are decent. It drives well. It's got that V6. It's more power than you need it's it is comfortable and large it but was, I, it's definitely it, not opulent it's not it's Alexis. very com- yeah it's very comfy i mean you can i mean my, russ is six three he had the seat pushed you know all the way back so you have plenty of room my teenage daughters are sitting behind him and it's like there's no problem like it is a roomy comfortable spread out kind of uh car and it had you know like the one i have has um like some wood trims on it and stuff you know so it has some visual pop in there it's not just boring and but the, you know what i didn't like the jbl audio system has these little speakers mounted sort of like by the c pillar kind of right by the, i mean the a pillar right by the dash but they have this really bright shiny piano black finish <laughs> like just kind of stuck there they were kind of weird. Look cheap like piano black that never looks luxurious to me it doesn't and it was you know you look at this oh this there's pretty leather and oh there's this pretty wood and like mm, okay piano black plastic speaker stuck right there I didn't like that. But that was really like the only thing about the interior that really struck me as not 
not in keeping with the rest of it, but otherwise it's, it's attractive and it's comfortable and it is roomy as heck. Like you can fit your whole family in there. No problem. So what's the sales pitch that Toyota's making now for the Avalon? The midsize crossover is really the, the heat, where the heat is in the market, but even folks who would traditionally buy that sedan, that older buyer, you know, they're getting older and it's harder to get into a vehicle that's lower True. and just that extra bit of ride height and, and the higher hip point and stuff hits all the needs of that, that buyer who is probably 20 years old. I'd be, I'd be curious to see what the actual average age of, uh, of the Avalon buyers. Is. Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of, you know, the, it depends on who you are though. There's a lot of people in that older group, like the 70 plus, I don't know, like the older buyer who, who like a big sedan was the thing. You know, you wanted to have a big sedan when you had made it, when you'd arrive someday, you would have a great big old sedan. So that's kind of what this does. You know, they're not looking for an SUV because they're thinking, I don't, I'm not, I need all this cargo capacity. I'm not doing yard work. I don't have a whole bunch of kids and all their junk. I'm not going camping. You just want a big sedan. It almost kind of feels like what I know the ride height, like there's really good reasons to go with a crossover, but that's not what everybody thinks of if they haven't had crossovers as a part of their life forever today. Right. Well, and you get those fancy new replacement hips, you're good to go. So exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I like, I mean, it was nice to drive. I mean, I drove it back and forth from here to the airport, Boston, like through heavy traffic and it's nice to drive. I mean, it's a really nice, quiet, comfy car. I enjoyed driving it. It's just not, it's not super exciting. What what did you think of the, uh, the infotainment? I don't, uh, (laughs) I was okay. I don't, like it. <laughs> I, I don't I wouldn't say don't like it. Um, I don't, I don't like Is how there it anything worked. good about it. It worked. <laughs> I've had vehicles where they didn't work. So okay. it worked. No, you know what I don't like? They have on the sides of the screen, there's like silver buttons for certain things that you use like hop mm-hmm. buttons, but they're like little raised silver buttons. And it, you know, this isn't an, an old vehicle. This It's not like that hasn't been redone in like eight years or something. It makes the infotainment system look dated compared to what's out there now it's like too much and again you know like the black the piano black plastic you got these bright silver buttons it just i didn't like that yeah when toyota's infotainment doesn't really help itself in looking modern no in with and the screen like the whole thing it, it does have sort of a dated feel to it it worked fine but it just has sort of a dated look to it yeah it, well you mentioned going into boston with it too it makes me think like that is a great livery car you know <laughs> yeah. it would be it would be because you could fit a ton of stuff in the trunk. Like if you had to pick someone at the airport, you could easily, you can easily put a family's luggage in the trunk of that thing. It is, it's huge. It has a really big trunk. There's bigger, I think like the charger has a huge trunk, but who wants, like, you don't want to ride in a charger. It's not as comfy as an Avalon. You know, if you're packing your family in, this is a really comfy vehicle. It's got plenty of power to, you know, zip in and out of heavy Boston traffic and cut people off like you should if you're in Massachusetts. Um, you, know. uh, you aggressive New Hampshire drivers. Uh, uh, it's funny too, like the, the, the traffic is now getting heavier. It while is. We've been in the lockdown for a year. I had to go into the office in Chestnut Hill just the other day and it, it is it's like, what the heck? All of a sudden it's like 2019 traffic again. So um, yeah, that if if you have to commute regularly, or you're taking a, a bunch of people, you know, if you if you you and your neighbors in the retirement community are going down for the four thirty buffet, the Avalon is a <laughs> great choice. Uh, I, I do wonder if it's long for this world though, just because like they can't sell that many of them. 
I, you know, the thing is, like, as much as we all say, you know, sedans, especially big sedans, they don't sell like they used to. They still sell a lot. You know, it's like it's, their numbers are still pretty high. I mean, SUVs and crossovers are kicking their butt as time goes on. But it's not like they're only selling five Avalons. You know, it's still a relative. It's still it's still a high volume, even though it's not as high a volume as it was. So I think there are ways away from a point, especially where other OEMs are giving up sedans. You know, the people who do still want them are having a decreasing number of options for them. So the solid ones like this, I think they could stick around for a while. I think. Watch. Uh, actually, they don't sell that many Avalons. How uh, many I, do they sell? I just, pull, I just pulled up the March sales figures. So far, calendar year to date, they've sold 5,136. Wow. So about 1,200 a month. 1,300. About uh, 1,400 so- Wait, they sold how many have they sold? 5,000 5, this year? 5,100 5, since January. Yeah. Wow. And that, that's an improvement over last year. You know, I mean, the beginning of the, you know, the, the lockdown. But uh, yeah, that's hard to compare because everything but, was so wonky. Yeah. By, by comparison, in the first three months, they sold 78,000 Camrys Jeez. and, and oh. 14,000 Priuses. And, you know, the Prius has been on the decline for a long time, too. Right. And it's still beating it. So maybe Avalon goes away and and Camry picks up an extra couple thousand or Venza. I think most, you know, most of the most of the Avalon sales would probably go to something like the Venza. You know, oh, it's, yeah. It's a little closer in size, you know, a little more upmarket. And, and they sold they've sold 13,000 Venzas so far this year. Gosh, So really, the Avalon's getting its butt handed to it by the rest yeah. of the Toyota lineup. They're pretty masterful at making a lot of cars off the same architecture and doing it economically. I don't know where their their point of pain for it is, but it's really just a larger camera. 5,000 cars in, in a, a full quarter of a year seems like they're not making money on it. Uh, yeah, I, I would guess when this current generation goes away, that's probably going to be the end of the Avalon because, okay. you know, it's it's primarily i think just a north american market car it's not i don't think it's even sold overseas so it's just like so it was last redesigned for 2019 so we're only three years into that last redesign so you probably got probably got two more years yeah and they but they this year and i thought that i was just double checking um all, they have all wheel drive in it. Yeah, they've got and yeah, so they've added stuff. I mean, and, they are improving it. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I wanted to, to make sure we knew which version you had. Um, what's the trim level you've got? I have the limited, limited with all wheel drive. For 2021, they did, you know, they made a sporty version, the XSE, and then they made the Nightshade Edition because everything has to sound dark and evil, I guess, if it's going to be sporty. You put black on anything, it's cooler. Black any <laughs> car. Black the car, charge as more long money. As it's and not it's piano cooler. black. As long as it's not piano black, don't do that. <laughs> and and then we'll name it after poison, uh, you know, or tomatoes or potatoes, either way. <laughs> so the limited is that's sort of the classic Avalon, right? It's just it's just it's nice. It has you know standard leather and all the goodies. Um, whereas they they have added some other stuff to different trims, but yeah, I I think we're I'll be surprised if there's a new Avalon in the next couple of years. That'll you think it's done. You think that, that we have seen our last really new Avalon ever? It seems like sales are really, they're flagged. And how much is there really for us to say about the car too? It's like, yeah, it's a big sedan. It's, you know, nobody's buying big sedans. All the competition is gone. You know, the only competition it has is the Charger and the 300, really. What else is in that size class? And those aren't really a good analog. No, they're not really. 
they're different. They're very different. Look, different feel, different everything. Yeah. The, what was it? The uh, uh, Hyundai Azera. Yeah, I think that's gone now. And the Kia K900. What, what about the Accord? Would the Accord be close enough? Yeah, the Accord. The Accord's down, like a little bit smaller. It's it's a Camry competitor. And the Maxima would be smaller too. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, who the, the Maxima. The Maxima is pretty much the same size as the Maxima the, uh, would be close. Ultima. No, it's the same size as the Ultima. It's it's actually oh, it's smaller than this. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's the biggest impression you're going to have of the Avalon once it once it leaves? Like, what 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 is its lasting impression with you? Oh God! If I okay, if my literally my first thought of like you asked me about the Avalon after spending all this time, it's just that it's comfortable. It's a comfortable roomy sedan. It's just comfortable and roomy. It doesn't make it doesn't make a particular impression. I mean, it's nice inside, but it's not like over, like, you know, you're not super impressed with the interior, but it is comfortable. Like I said, back and forth to Boston twice to take my daughter in and out. That's like a little over an hour drive each way. Comfortable. Like it's really comfy. You don't feel like you've been driving in the car for two hours, just a really comfy car in a quiet cabin. It's just a cruiser. You know, it's a nice, just passenger cruiser kind of vehicle. A land yacht. You know, you just want a comfy car to drive around in. You want to be able to have a nice conversation with the people in the back seat and, you know that it does it checks those two boxes what is this nice conversation with people like no i'm trying to come up with a nice thing her, give me a break her, dan her, her, her kids her kids are older a little more civilized than yours dan yeah my kids are teenagers well so are mine but yeah yours are a little older teenagers. Mine are a little bit older they actually uh, we have real conversations someday dan you'll get there they'll have real conversations where you won't be like Shh, stop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look forward to this. Actually, it's uh, it's it's a good time when we get the, the 15 year old going on world affairs. She's doing the model UN, and it's just like, I understand what you're saying. Um, the solution is not as simple as you think it is, but carry on. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I digress. That, there's really not a whole lot else to say about the Avalon, so we should That's just it. say less about the Avalon. Okay, let's <laughs> talk about a different car now. All right. Who wants to go? All right. I also had a four-door sedan this time, uh, but it was a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit less uh, luxurious than your Avalon. It was the 2021 Hyundai Elantra SEL. I've, I've always liked the Elantra. It's a good car. This new one has introduced a new design language for Hyundai. This, yeah, it this looks kind like of, it got hit in the door. Yeah. <laughs> That was, that's actually just exactly what my neighbor said. Yeah. It's like, is it really? <laughs> almost exactly. Yeah. It's Excellent. like, so it looks kind of unfinished, you know, what's, yeah. what's the deal? Uh, you know, I mean, it's just this kind of faceted, you know, it's kind of like they tried to take the stealth fighter, the original F-117 stealth fighter look and apply it to a car. And they're doing it with the new Tucson and with the Ionic 5. And I, I'm assuming they'll be doing it with the rest of their vehicles over the next couple of years. It's not a bad look. I'm not a fan of white cars. You know, let me just say that everything just kind of disappears, all the, the surfacing. You know, I like the, the profile of it. It's got the now standard fastback sedan coupe like profile to it, which is good. Uh, no, I, I actually do like the, the way it looks. And I, I actually like it better in the end line version, which you know, has a little bit more aggressive looking front end to it. So this one is the, the SEL, which is the mid range of the mainstream. Elantra lineup for this year. It's got uh, those this only engine available in there is a two liter Atkinson cycle, four cylinder, 147 horsepower, 132 pounds feet of torque. And unfortunately, they decided to use their CVT in this one now. 
instead of a, a step ratio transmission. It's not a great CVT. I mean, it, it's efficient. It's very fuel efficient. You know, it got like 34 miles per gallon, but it's not very engaging to drive. You know, and this engine, this particular engine doesn't have a, a whole lot of torque, you know, because it's an Atkinson cycle. And basically what that means is they, they change the valve timing so that it's more fuel efficient. And usually they use these this type of engine setup with hybrids because with a hybrid you've got that electric motor that gives you that instant torque right off the line and you know fills in that torque hole that the engine has so you have a much more efficient engine that doesn't have much torque but you get the torque from the motor the electric motor this one is lacking the electric motor so you just have that torque hole so it's not particularly sprightly off the line uh you know it's adequate performance but not it's certainly not very engaging yeah the Atkinson, uh, Atkinson cycle engines always seem a little mushy too you know even if yeah. you know, 150 horsepower is not bad it's just yeah. i don't know where well, well, it's, it's the, the 150 horsepower is fine it's that 132 pounds feet of torque it peaks at 4500 rpm yeah see that's yeah. the thing i was going to say like that's- that torque peak is high yeah, it's a it's a high torque peak and you've got that CVT. So, you know, it, it feels like it's working harder than it should be um, when you're when you're trying to accelerate, like accelerating up onto the highway, things like that. It's not the most pleasant experience. They, they have a hybrid version now, you know, which has a one point six liter version of this engine that's one hundred and four horsepower. But the combined output you know, uh, with the hybrid is 139 horsepower, but 195 foot-pounds of torque, which is much better. I, I think, you know, if you're considering an Elantra, I would recommend that you just skip the, the two-liter version and just go straight, either go straight to the hybrid, uh, which gets you up to like almost 50 miles per gallon, or get the end line with the 1.6-liter turbo and 200 horsepower, uh, which is very much fun. And with the, with the end line, you can still get a manual transmission. But the... You know, the interior of this, you know, this one is is nice, very nice. They've got a new layout. It doesn't have the the st- separate stand-up touchscreen in the middle. So you've got like one panel that's got a little bit of a curve to it in the middle. Uh, so it's kind of stepped that has a digital instrument cluster in front of you. And then the touchscreen display uh, over the over the center stack. And Hyundai's always done a really good job with the their touchscreens, you know, in terms of the responsiveness and the you know good color and uh, contrast. So it's always really visible, uh, really nice to use. The Elantra does come with full slate of driver assist features like you know adaptive cruise control and a highway drive assist and uh, blind spot monitoring, lane keeping assist. So it's got all the safety features you would want. It's very roomy. The back seat, I'm 5'11", uh, you know, set the driver's seat where I want. I get in the back. I have plenty of room back there. There's plenty of headroom. Even with, you know, the base, you know, these base versions, the SE, the SEL, and the Limited, they have a torsion beam rear suspension. Uh, the N-Line has multi-link rear suspension. So it's, you know, it's a little more, a little better handling. But even, even with the base version, you know, it still handles surprisingly well on, you know, what are certainly not very aggressive tires. So it aside from the, the powertrain, which just feels kind of weak, I have no real complaints about the rest of the car. This SEL, which is the, the midline trim, came out to $25,110, including the delivery charge, which is 
you know, very reasonable for, for a car like this, you know, given all the features that it's got on it. 25K for that. And I'm looking at images of it just on their consumer site and how the interior looks. And 25K, that's a nice looking interior. You know what I mean? That looks yeah. good. It, it, it is good looking. It doesn't have a lot of soft touch surfaces like the dashboard and everything is, is hard plastic, but it's it's nicely textured. So it looks good. And, you know, I mean, it's mostly places that you're not touching very frequently anyway. It's a very pleasant place to spend time. You know, it, it's a really good mainstream car. As I said, you know, the hybrid, I don't think is much more than that. I, um, I think it's pretty close to that price point. And you, you have so much more torque with the hybrid. You know, I haven't, I haven't driven the, the, the Elantra hybrid, but I've driven that same powertrain in the current Ionic and, you know, and in other vehicles. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a great powertrain. So, uh, you know, I think that I would probably recommend going for the hybrid instead, just for that extra torque. It actually feels a little more exciting to drive than this base powertrain does. Do you think that we're spoiled now where back in the day, 132 foot-pounds of torque, 148 horsepower would have felt pretty good? I mean, that, that, those are numbers that the original Neon had roughly, probably a mm -hmm. little less. And I remember when we all were in high school and it came out and we went and test drove, we were like, that, thing, that thing's fast because it had more power than most of its competition. And now that we're complaining about sort of the same thing, I know yeah, the Elantras are bigger and heavier, but. Once upon a time, everyone thought the Model T was a really cool, fast, speedy thing too, you know, <laughs> and you kind of move on. <laughs> well, you could make the Model T a really cool, fast thing if you got some of those vintage uh, hot rod parts like the. the right. But I mean, it's like whatever was, I mean, there was yeah. a time, I don't know that we're spoiled. I think things just get, enough things get better that you expect better from everything. And if you're not meeting up, you know, I, okay. That that's fair. I also wonder if some of it is their strategy to really encourage your behavior, you know, buying the hybrid might be what they want you to do. So they make the hybrid just that much more satisfying. Do you think that many people though, like if you were just, if you're looking for the Elantra and you go in and you drive it and you think, okay, that's good or bad. Do you think your next impulse is I'm going to go drive the hybrid and see if it's better, or I'm going to go drive this other car from this other company. It's probably going to be the latter. They're probably going to go drive something else. Exactly. Which is why I'm recommending that you know, we yeah. go in and just skip the SEL and just get the, just drive the hybrid. Well, like, I don't know that they're, there's, if that's their strategy to convince you to go from gas to their hybrid, I think the person who walks in and drives that gas vehicle and says, they're going to be turned eh, off. Not yeah. enough. They're walking into another dealership to get an entirely different vehicle. You know, I, that could be. I mean, I think the fact that they offer a hybrid is a nice touch as well. I do too. They're doing that for across most of their lineup now. They're, mm -hmm. they're adding hybrids to most of their, most of their model lines. And the hybrid starts the the hybrid blue uh, starts at twenty three five fifty plus what thousand bucks for the so it's it's a little bit less than this SEL. But it's probably and, not comparable exactly to the SEL trim as yeah. well. You're probably giving some. Uh, it's it's pretty close. I mean, it's it's got things. It's got heated front seats. It's got most of the same uh, driver assist suite that you know that stuff is standard across all the Sonatas. Uh, so it does have a lot of the same features in it. And then, you know, the, the, the limited, the hybrid limited is 28,000, which is still quite reasonable. So, you know, if, if you're interested in, the, in a car this size and you like the look of it, then you know, I would definitely go take a look at, at the hybrid. And I, I make the joke about it looking like it got hit in the door. I honestly think that their styling language, it's new, so it's mm -hmm. going to take some getting used to, but it's also, it does look 
really good in certain light and certain angles. It's probably one of those things where because we're used to being critics and we just look at everything all day. You know what? When you described it that way, that's what I was on there saying. I'm like, I can't remember what the side of the door looks like. I got to see what this punched in the door business looks like. And it's, I get it. I'm like, oh, I can see where the Hulk just kind of went and got it. But also like, kind of good. I mean, I I get it. Like this, it's like, it's different, but it, I don't, I actually don't think it looks bad. I think it no, looks... No, I, I like it. I think it looks good. But remember, just, the consumer yeah. website for, you know, U.S. automakers is going to have the best-looking pictures of well, any car. I know. Well, yeah, I, I get that. But it's still, like, sometimes the best-looking picture of a car, you still look at it and go, oh, guys, you missed. Yeah, that's like, true. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, it does, it's a design language we're all going to understand eventually as it as it gets out there. You know, I, I just remember looking at the first E60 five series and being like, okay. And now I see it and it's a really nice, tidy kind of, uh, design. So it'll get there. And I'm glad that they're trying new things. And uh, in this, this is, this is the sedan segment that's never going away. So to offer, you know, the hybrid and a a lot of value and and decent driving experience and just overall a solid car, like that's, that's Hyundai's thing. So and and you know there's there's some great product in this segment you know you've got the uh, the Kia Forte uh, which actually has the same it's power the same car it. right like for it's the, the same part. it's the same car yeah you know different styling so you know if if you if you like this car and you know no maybe the styling isn't one. quite your thing go <laughs> go check out the Kia Forte because you know same same car basically but with different you know different styling you've got there's a brand new Honda uh, Honda Civic coming out this spring you know there's the current gen civic and there's an all new one coming out later is the new one going to be less ugly i like the civic the civic hatch is a little it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) Um, it it, it is more toned down from from the current generation i I also really Uh, like the civic and when you talk about a hybrid in this segment and the civic don't forget the insight which is the best civic there is i love the insight and that is a screaming value um, yeah, and it's it's a Civic with a nice interior too, which is and and there's also the Nissan Sentra. The Sentra is also a really good car. Yeah, that's so true. The Sentra is a there's great still car. there's still some good product in this segment. I, does does the Sentra have a torsion beam rear axle too? I actually love the fact it that it does. Torsion, yeah, see, I love that. Yeah, because you don't need more. You really don't. No, <laughs> not, not not for basic transportation. I am a man of simple taste, and it makes not, that trunk four flat. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, you know, these are not track cars. You know, you don't you no? don't need a multi leg suspension. They could be. Well, that's what the end line is for. Every car could be a track car. It just depends on commitment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How committed are you to making it a track car? What about you, Dan? What'd you have? So I finished up my week with the Mach E and I did some of the charging shenanigans that people were asking about. So that was interesting. I ran it down to the nearest DC fast charging station and it was only a fifty kilowatt charger. Um, but it got us up to 80% within about 35 minutes from 56%. So we put a bunch of Watts into it, which is interesting just for the whole process of locating the charger with the Ford pass app and then going to it and activating the charger. It was an, uh, it's an EV go charger, I think. Yes. EV go. Um, and so you, you don't have to use the, the EV go or charge point or electrify America apps. You can just activate the charger right through Ford Pass and it's charged you, you you've got the account charged up with with uh credit so it was easy to just go I'm here I'm at this charger tilt at the name of the charger and hit go with it connected to the car and it just kicked on and and started doing its thing um so that was 
a cool experience. Um, it's still not as fast as a gas station, but it's still only a 50 kW charger. I wanted, to, I should have gone to the Electrify America where I think they have a little bit uh, higher car. They have 100, 150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But I still think too, it would have gotten to 80% and then started to back off a bit. And I've heard that there's people who will uh, try to get around that by unplugging and replugging. Um, to Does get that, that work? I don't. I don't know. It, it'll 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 work for a few seconds, and then as soon as it, and it figures fin- it out, as right? As, yeah, it as soon as it reaches state charge. of charge, yeah, because yeah. the, yeah. the, the the battery management system is what's actually controlling that, so it right. knows the state of charge, and you know, then it'll you know it'll start ramping it down when you get to eighty yeah, percent. and it was it was even with the the charge uh, the, the EVgo charger. You know, I was able to just press the thing. There's a little question mark about the charging rate, and it was just like, yeah, your your battery will charge to eighty percent capacity, and then it will start to back off because it's, it's it doesn't want to cook the battery, you know. And, and that's DC fast charging is not easy on the batteries, so it's not mm-hmm. it's, it's it's something that they certainly don't want to be on the hook for damaging the batteries in all of these cars, and it's just the way yeah. it's designed, you know. And and so it was it was cool to try that out. And then I took it home. Uh, I was about 14 miles away, 15 miles away. So I didn't use that much on the way home. And then I just t- sort of topped it off with the, uh, the regular 110 on an, an extension cord, which isn't super efficient. So I got it to 91% charge uh, before it left. And I can't do the arithmetic, but it said 91% <laughs> charge is 209 miles. So you can extrapolate from there to get the full amount of range it thinks it's got i that extra 10 percent. i don't know yeah, well it, it also you know the the range estimate adapts to your driving style so depending on how you've been driving it it'll change that range estimate so if you've been driving more aggressively or if the if the weather's been cold yeah. uh you know it'll it'll adu- it'll adjust that temp estimate yeah and that's one of the things that it it you know we were using the the hvac a little bit you know the the heat and everything uh, which I was, I was trying not to because I was like, no, I want to keep the range. <laughs> um, but you wind up doing that in an EV and you sort of have to get over it um, because that it makes it uh, an unpleasant experience when you're sort of that being that much of a cheapskate on the, the energy to just not run the even just the defroster. So the windows are fogging up. So I'll run the defroster for a little bit and then the windows will clear. Kind of defeating the purpose. You have this really cool EV. You got tons of range, but tons of range, but you can't see where you're going. Right. I don't know. Exactly. So <laughs> like, and it's, it's like having this lovely house that you, you like don't heat or furnish or so. It, it was just, I was, you know what? I guess I just have to knock this off. Um, it, Cause it did have the 88 kilowatt hour battery pack. So that's the big pack, the extended uh-huh. range pack. So it should have something like 270 miles of range. You had, you had the all wheel drive one, right? Yes. Dual motor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 270. It probably would have gotten close to that if I had filled it up all the way and then driven it just sort of my normal driving. So I don't drive that aggressively. Uh, although this is a fun car to drive aggressively. You can, easily break the rear tires free with it uh if you're injudicious so that was also fun to discover and it it was <laughs> really fun on back roads i kept hitting back roads with it and it's just like this thing it just handles really well um so it was it was fun to drive and then the next car that they dropped off is the 2022 acura mdx and this is it's a beautiful three-row suv uh, it's lovely styling wise. It's nice inside. It just feels like such a different planet <laughs> after the Mach-E. I had to, you know, I, I had to go to the office. So I get on the highway with the, 
the MDX. I'm like, why isn't it going? <laughs> so, well, it's and I'm like, wow, that Mach E was real, and you don't realize how torquey it, it, it the EVs are. It's not just the Mach E. It's just it, I came directly from an EV and went into to something that has that, that Honda V6 that makes its power up high. It's just two different power deliveries, and it's it was like, okay, I got to wait for it to wind up. It's loud. It's just it was. It struck me. I was like, this is really, this is what people talk about when they say that EVs feel like the future and everything else feels archaic. And it makes me a little bit sad <laughs> because the, the, the MDX is, is a great car. It's, it's beautiful. I keep looking at it out the, the kitchen window and I'm just like, they've really done a nice job restyling it. It looks really, really good. It's very comfortable. Um, the infotainment is better. I'm still getting used to their little touchpad thing, which I don't think is worth complaining about i think it's more it's one of those it's not you it's me kind of things for acura i think if you you have it and get used to it it works just fine it it's a little funky with carplay it doesn't like to swipe back and forth between screens and apps and and stuff as as smoothly as it does when you're just in the native uh side of the the infotainment but yeah i mean acura does a nice car and this is a a nice car. I really like it. And I love the ELS surround audio system, which um, I'm a big fan of those systems in particular in cars. And it, it plays all of the seventies rock very loud and it sounds very good. <laughs> and my kids appreciate that for the most part, <laughs> for the most part. Just for reference, the, that V6 in the Honda or in the Acura is 267 pounds feet of torque. Yeah, the Machi is four hundred and twenty-eight. Right, well, it's clearly yes, and yeah. it's like so, I mean, right you can, away. That, that's a that's a difference you're going to feel. Yeah, slight difference. Yeah. yeah, well, and just the way I really miss now, just the way an EV will just it'll just accelerate, and you, it's just always there. You don't have to wait for it to downshift and rev up, which is thrilling in its own right. It sounds good, but I just I really just appreciate it, the way you just squeeze on the pedal and you get what you want. I like that about EVs and I like that sort of instant reaction, but I, I still like the sound of a gas engine. I miss it. I, the only time I like, I mean, the quiet is great if you're starting the car at five o'clock in the morning or something. I don't and it's know, just with like, my neighbors, I like the ones that bark. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the GT350 that rattles the window panes. Yeah. It's, Everything shakes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but I, I like, I like the sound of a gas engine. Well, I, just, well I, I was out driving around in my Miata this afternoon and, you know, I mean, that thing is, you know, it's not fast, but you know, it, 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 it is a lot of fun and you know, it, it's got a nice sound to it. You know, it's got an aftermarket exhaust system on it and it's, it's got a nice bark to it. And so it sounds more like an angry MGP. Uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> nice. much. Yeah. How, um, how much was the uh, MDX? I don't have the Monroni in front of me, so I will circle back next week. I want to spend more time with it before I give sort of a full accounting of of my time with it. Because I feel like I'm giving it kind of short shrift comparing it to the Mach-E. And I, I need to just acclimate a little better. I, it's, it's unfair of me to uh, criticize it that way. So I realized that. It was just something I noted. And it's it's again, it's it's just it's a hard one where... This, this is the, the car reviewer problem, right? You step out of one thing and into another, and um, we need to take three or four days for our perspective to readjust. So, You know what? It is a really valid comparison, though, of the dramatic difference between driving an EV 
versus a gas engine. You know, you, unless you've like spent just like go for a test drive, like, okay, that's an EV. You really have to drive one for a little bit to appreciate the difference between that and whatever car is parked in your driveway that isn't an EV. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, that the MDX, it handles really well as as well. Like that was another, Mm -hmm. I took it on some of the same roads and I was like, this this thing will rotate nicely. You know, it'll, it'll come around a, a corner. It's not like a normal uh, crossover of that size where it just wants to plow it. Well, and that's what, that's one of the advantages of their torque vectoring all wheel drive system. I mean, yeah. I've always loved that in the Acura's ever since like the first time I drove it, I don't know, it was probably 12, 13, 14, four, probably 14 years ago in the old RL. Yeah. Um, and, you know, actually I first drove it on a racetrack and you know, it was so much fun to drive and you know, I've loved it on every Acura I've driven since then. Yeah, it's still fun to drive. I and I do think it's it's loud on certain pavement and stuff like that. It, so it's you know, that's a constant criticism of Acura and Honda cars. Um but again, I just came from a car that doesn't have any engine noise. So yeah. um it's well it had a switch. I could turn some little tiny rumble on. So they they, they do make yeah. cars with engine noise there for you. Uh but it's not not the same. So not so the same. I'll keep the MDX for another week and we'll talk about it next time. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kia dropped the EV6, and all I can think of is the band EV6 when I see it. Oh, there were so many jokes about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's is it the car that makes you swallow your pride. Um, <laughs> choke on the rind. All right. I'm sorry. Making 90s Give rock jokes. Give your tender heart around in a blender. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done. Uh, so tell us more about it, because I haven't actually uh, read a whole lot. I've had a very busy week. The EV6 is Kia's first take on... Um, Hyundai Motor Group's new eGMP electric platform. So this is their first dedicated battery electric vehicle platform. They first showed it to us back in December. Uh, we saw the, the Hyundai Ionic 5 a few weeks ago. Now the EV6 is Hyundai's first uh, model on this. You know, it's, it's sort of a 
kind of crossoverish, you know, five door hatchback. It is a, you know, kind of a new direction for or a new take on Hyundai's design language. You know, it's, it's their, you know, they're ta- talking about this as their next evolution of the, their design. And we don't have a whole lot of detail specs or anything like that just yet. It is supposed to have about a 300 mile range. Unlike the, the Mach-E, it has um, this, this, Electric platform has uh, uses an 800 volt architecture, so it's, uh, the Mach E is 400, and most most EVs today are 400 volt systems. This one's 800 volts, uh, which is like the Porsche Taycan, which means it supports 350 kilowatt charging. And they're saying that you can go from 10 to 80 percent charge in about 18 minutes with this thing, which is really fast. Um, and uh, there's going to be several variants of this with different combinations of motor sizes, including the EV6 GT that they claim will go zero to hundred kilometers an hour, like zero to 62 miles an hour in uh, 3.5 seconds, uh, top, top speed of 260 KPH. So about a hundred and 150, 160 miles an hour. What, what do you guys think of the, the looks of this thing? I like how it looks, but you know what? It's funny. The first thing I thought when I saw it talking about the Mach-E, the front of it makes me think of the Mach-E. It just does something about the very front of it, the way the hood slopes. That's what it makes me think of. I like how it looks, but that's that's what I think of when I first look at it. I mean, I think it looks fantastic. I think it looks premium. It looks mm-hmm. it looks expensive and I know it's not cheap, but it, it I think it's it looks great. It looks European to me. It does look very European. You know, it's funny when you look at it in profile, it it's actually qu- quite different from the Mach-E because, you know, one of the things about the Mach-E, you know, they wanted to give it that Mustang design DNA. So it's actually got a relatively long flat hood, um, you know, and so it looks like the, you know, the, the cabin is more set back, you know, like a, a Mustang would traditionally be. And when you look at the, the Kia in profile, it's actually got a really short front end, very little front overhang. You know, and the hood just kind of curves right over the front wheels and, and drops right off. So there's actually very little in the front compared to the, uh, the Mach-E. Uh, one, one of the neat details is the little sort of ducktail spoiler at the back, you know, coming up from the, the rear wheel arch, curving around above the, the taillights. You know, so you've got this kind of built-in spoiler there which you know, I think is an interesting design detail. I mean, I do like the profile. I, I, I was noticing that the way that spoiler comes up, it does look unique and it looks different and it looks good. It does have a very uh, upscale kind of look to it. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily make you think, a, you know, affordable Kia. It makes you think something a little bit pricier, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We don't know what the pricing is going to be yet. You know, it's going to go on sale later this year. Should be here in the U.S. sometime this fall, I think. It's a great looking vehicle. The interior is very different from the uh, from the Mach E. It actually, I think, looks a little more premium than the Mach E does. It doesn't have the the big giant screen in the middle there. You know, it's it's got something more like you know, it looks like one big piece. You know, kind of like we, what we have on the the Escalade, yeah. where you've got one big display that spans across. Uh, between the instrument cluster and the and the center stack, there's actually I guess two separate displays in there, but it's just like under one sheet of glass. How does it stack up against uh, stuff like, of course, Tesla, but other EVs like um, from competitively priced? Oh, we don't, we don't, yeah, yeah we don't know what the pricing is going to be. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be priced, you know, similar to the 
to the Mach E, you know, and and the Model Y. Do you think it's going to so, be that inexpensive? It looked to me like it was going to be. Maybe that's the impression that. It well, was. It's just well, like, I think pricier. I think for the base the base model, I think you know the GT is going to be pricier. Uh-huh. You know, the, you know, the, the dual motor high output version, it goes zero to 60 in three and a half seconds, but I think you'll be able to get, you know, the standard rear wheel drive version, probably starting around, you know, somewhere in a low $40,000 range. And it'll go up from there. Just like, you know, just like the other vehicles in this class. I like the interior. Cause I, I, as much as the sort of like tablet style screens are great and they show you a lot of information i i like it when it's all straight across like that like i said i know it's more than one screen that we're actually looking at there but to see it in one line i sometimes find with the tablets i'm looking too far down to see what's at the very bottom so my eyes are really off the road if you're looking at the bottom of those big screens left right you're still kind of even when it gets long you're you're, you're close you're closer to your the line of sight for the road exactly so the line of sight is kind of there but if you're looking at the bottom of one of those tablet screens your eyes do not see the road you've completely lost the road for a half a second so i'm i think it looks cleaner this way and it's more intuitive to me so i like the way they've done the screens in this it looks good yeah i think you know one of the things that people are really going to appreciate about this too is the the faster charging uh, compared to, you know, the other vehicles in this class. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really fast. That's, that's the key. I think to, is, is to wider EV adoption. That's really, anytime I talk about it, that's what people choke on. And even going to the fast charger with the Mach-E, I was like, Oh, it's going fast. And everybody else was like, can we leave now? (laughs) It's like, not yet. I'm trying to make sure there's enough juice in this thing for the fleet guy to come. And I, you know, I don't know where he has to go, but I don't want to leave him a half charge right. car. Uh, so it was, it's still, if, if you can get it down to what this is going to do it in like what, 18 minutes or something to, to go from 10 to 80%. 10 to yeah. 80, yeah. That's, that's, it's pretty good. That, well, that like really is like, is, it's really fast, but it's still weirdly such a long time compared to gassing up your car. I mean, it's much yeah. faster than other EVs, but if you have that, like I walk into the gas station, I spend roughly five minutes from the time I step out of my car to the time I step back in and drive away. It's still longer. I think yeah. we are also, oh, yeah. no, it, that, that, instant, that absolutely is you know? a real issue. We want this instantaneous. Like I want it to be as fast as putting gas in my car and it's closer by far but it's not there yet. I don't know. I, I still think people are going to balk at that. Uh, I, but well, it depends on the quality of the pastry available where you're, you're, you know, fueling up. And if, if you can get yourself a nice croissant, good <laughs> cup of coffee. Well, and I mean, the problem is that's one of the challenges right now with a lot of the EV charging stations is they're not necessarily in great spots. You know? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the, where we went, the EVgo station was at a mall and the mall was closed. I felt like, you know, you could see Marty and Doc show up and the Libyans come around with yeah. their t- <laughs> but or, it was you know, you know lot, like right outside of, of closed- America stations are at Walmarts. I used one somewhere for an EV and I literally, the only thing I could find that was working or didn't have something in front of it was in a random office on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm like in this giant office park, no one and me just like, okay, I'll just sit here for a little while. It seems weird. There's nothing. nothing. (laughs) Well, there's an electrify America station about a 10 minute walk away from me here. So, you know, I can go take a car down there, plug it in and, and walk home and, and then walk back and, and go pick it up. Or I can take take the dog, you know, and, you know, walk the dog home and then go back and pick up the car. Yeah, Sam lives in paradise. Clearly. 
Well, it's it, it's it's in a it's in a parking lot next to a closed Walmart. The Walmart closed last year, so wow, that there is, never happens. No, but there but there is a Harbor Freight Tools there, so you know. Oh hey, you can go browse around there. Right, Paradise. Go get yourself a yeah. and what is Har- it? Har- Har- Harbor Freight Tools and a GameStop. What more could a boy want? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This week. Uh, the White House also released their finally released their infrastructure plan. You know, after four years of of waiting for infrastructure, <laughs> we, we finally actually got it. Yeah, it's a two trillion dollar plan, but a big part of it is um, transportation. There's a lot of stuff they want to do around transportation, especially around new incentives for buying EVs. They they really want to promote the shift to electrification both for passenger vehicles, but also for buses, putting more chargers in. You want to put in a bunch of money for 500,000 new EV chargers. You know, there's not a lot of detail yet. Uh, They want to put in money for upgrading mass transit and freight and rail service, uh, passenger and freight rail service, sorry, for the purchase incentives for EVs. They want to go from the current system of tax credits, you know, that you claim the following year on your tax return, to just a point of sale rebate, which I think smart. is, is yeah. going to be a lot better. Because like that tax yeah. credit is a gatekeeping yeah. device, maybe inadvertent, but it sort of closes off the bottom of the market, I guess is what I'm stumbling around trying to say. And I think there was also, if I remember right, at one point, I want to say California, but there were things where they're looking at some of the rebates they were doing that they were pulling it out so that it's like they were going too much to people who are making a very high income right. and they were trying to scale that back so that what you're saying didn't happen. But then so it's like, OK, so your incentive as someone who makes more is also removed to buy the EV. It's like, well, I'm not going to get the rebate. Well, you know, you still want the money, even if you're making more money to begin yeah. with, you know, so something that just like uniformly you get a rebate, you buy it. I don't care how much you make. Here's your thousand dollars back right this second makes a lot more sense. What I would like to see is maybe a cap on the price of the car that's eligible for a rebate. So, you know, people are buying hundred thousand dollar cars don't need a tax break to buy that car. They can just go. They buy will it. tell you that they need a tax break. All the tax they're, breaks. Well, they're wrong. They're, they're wrong. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Cap, cap it at like forty, forty five thousand dollars, and you know, phase it out from there. Uh, but you know, you don't you don't need tax breaks on hundred thousand dollar EVs. Um, I, I do like the comprehensiveness of the plan, though. It seems like the infrastructure planning committees or whoever got together to think this all up, they thought about different modes of transportation more than just we need highways. And it's true that the highway infrastructure we have has been in disrepair for two generations of neglect, you know, and and so we've got to catch up. That's something that's going to have to happen. We may not see any increase in capacity of, you know, widening roads or adding lanes or anything like that. That's okay with me. We need to make sure that our bridges aren't going to fall. Uh, which I think is probably a more imminent danger. Uh, And we've seen from time immemorial, when you add capacity to highways, it just fills right up. So you haven't changed anything. So taking that, that money that would go to creating larger highways, you know, larger footprint and hurting more neighborhoods. And we know the kind of neighborhoods that it hurts, uh, put that money into other modes of transportation. So the focus on rail is really encouraging the focus on transit and then just, you know, all the way down to bikes 
and you know uh, e-bikes and, and stuff like that. So I'm encouraged by that. I'm a little discouraged by the the framing of it as a once in a lifetime investment. Please don't say that. Like it needs to be. <laughs> It needs to be an ongoing investment uh, well, uh, with, with I think, like a boost. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the once in a lifetime aspect is, you know, doing all, trying to do all of this at once. You know, ideally, once you've done this, then you you do ongoing maintenance, you know, and it's not, you know, you're, you're continuing, you're doing it continuously and doing it at a, you know, a lower level. You don't need to be doing it at this, at this level, you know, two trillion dollars all in one shot. Yeah. yeah, I read it the same way. Like, this is a kickstart. Like, we're going to yeah. put a ton of cash into this right now, boom, to try to take us out of the hole that we might be in with some of these things. But that hopefully going forward, we don't need this ginormous investment all at once. We'll just need a steady, lower investment to maintain and improve as we go. Well, and that's always the thing is that there's infrastructure projects and building, even building projects, right? You see them and they, they go up with big fanfare and then it's like, oh, yeah, we never thought we'd have to maintain the thing. And then, then, you know, 25 years later, it's not, it, it's not in, in good repair and it needs to be replaced. And then it just, it sucks. Like <laughs> we're just costing ourselves money. And the, the jobs aspect of it, I think is, is pretty good too. These are construction jobs. These are union jobs. We've got six or 8 million people. I forget what the last figure was, um, but we're down like at least 6 million jobs from a couple of years ago. You've got a lot of folks who are going to be happy to do those jobs to be able to to move those folks into other jobs that are you know potentially more similar and i think it's good it's a good thing we should pay people we should pay people well to to build the stuff that they know how to build so i'm gonna yeah, I'm, I'm a man of the people again i'm gonna stop now yeah well you know when when you pay people well then they have money to spend you know and you know middle class job you know middle class you know working class people that you know with money to spend tend to go out and spend it you know, which it, is yeah. good for the economy. You know, it, yeah, I'm a big fan of just give people money. I know it sounds like super duper whatever. Um, and we'll, we'll take a, I'm, I'm sure there are people in our uh, listenership that, that don't agree. And I would love to hear from them. Um, so I can just understand that, that other perspective uh, beyond just, just give people money. But um, we've seen that like making it like means testing and, and sort of making it aggressively uh, punitive isn't great for anybody. Uh, it drives up all of the costs across the board. So maybe we could try giving people a little bit more money and, you know, they'd spend it in ways that, that help us all out. Um, and as much as we love cars, aren't you guys psyched about the transit aspect? Like, wouldn't it be cool to have better trains? I, I would. I, yeah. I mean, if, if I, if I actually had somewhere where I had to commute, I would have loved to have taken a train. I mean, when I, when I used to work in Detroit or, or Dearborn, you know, I would have loved to have been able to go, you know, five minutes away from me here to, you know, to the local train depot, hop on a train and, you know, spend a half hour on a train getting to Detroit or depot town or Dearborn rather than, um, you know, having to drive, you know, and sit in traffic and everything. That would have been a much better experience. You know, I could sit back, relax, read, you know, even do some work, uh, you know, and that would be far more efficient you know, than, you know, having automated vehicles either. Trains are the coolest. They are. <laughs> that, that, is, that is one thing I missed this year was, you know, not going to the Chicago Auto Show and taking the train to Chicago. Oh, uh, that's right. You guys could do the trains. So I can't yeah. remember that we're too far away. I always thought that looked fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, from here, you know, it's about four hours to Chicago Union Station. And 
you know, it takes about the same amount of time to fly and it's a hell of a lot less hassle and a lot more comfortable. You know, it's only an hour flight to Chicago, but then, you know, it takes you, you know, another hour, hour and a half to get from O'Hare downtown. So by the time you're, you're all done, you know, it takes about the same amount of time to just take the train and get off at Union Station right downtown. Nicole, you were just flying. You said you went to Logan a couple of times this week. Were you flying places? I was not. My daughter was home from college. I've flown quite, I have flown places, but I was bringing her back and forth to Logan, but we've, I've flown a bunch of places. We've, we've, yeah, I've done quite a bit of flying even with COVID. So. See, but isn't, wouldn't you love to not have to take off your shoes and your belt and put all your crap in the thing and put it through the scanner? I I don't take off my shoes and my belt because I have clear and TSA pre-work and I just throw my stuff on the belt and walk on through. (laughs) Oh, yes. You must fly enough to make it worth it. I I fly like a plebeian. I I do fly. Well, in the before times, I did fly enough. Before times. Yeah. In the before times. But so, yeah. So to me, it was worth it. I honestly, though, I think even if I. Even if I didn't fly like I did for work, I would still be happy to shell out the money for clear and and do those things just because it makes the experience a little bit nicer. Yeah, that's I was always jealous of that. Why did I not do that? (laughs) Like just when I had to fly places. There was a wait at Detroit once where like the line for TSA and for the regular thing was like 45 minutes and Claire's like, we can sign you up in three and a half minutes and get you through. I'm like, okay, take my money. Like that's pretty much how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I like trains. Did you know like skiing up in the white mountains, they used to have the snow train that would go from Boston right up to. I did. Now you can do, now you can do a part of that train just as a scenic railway train. The one that used to go all the way to Boston up to now you can do like a chunk of it in the middle and it's like the old train. They have the old trellises. I can't believe you've never done this train guy. They have we, the we old did the, we did we did the the North Conway Scenic, um, but I didn't I didn't know that that was sort of like the same thing. That and was part of that. Our guy said that part of it was the same tracks and the same route. Like it stops and ends obviously way before that. But part of that was actually yeah. what you would have done if you had taken that train way back, way back when. Yeah. Like that would have been awesome. Like you just like you leave the office in Boston on a Friday night and you just go up and you ski in the in Mount Washington Valley for a weekend and just take take the train back. Sounds good to everything me. Everything was catching on fire back then. So maybe not awesome. Like all those. Things <laughs> so I don't know how awesome it would be, Dan, really. <laughs> well, it's snowy. You know, so you just you jump off into the drift. Just yeah. jump off into a drift. You're fine. OK, you try that. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, it makes me think like, hey, it's our very own little Polar Express. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm just going to geek out about trains. Hot chocolate. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uncanny Valley, creepy Tom Hanks, and his every character. Oh, I hated that he was so creepy. Okay. Sorry, I'm topic. He started it. All right. I'm sorry. All right. Let's, let's, let's jump into questions. some uh, listener questions. Let's start with this one, uh, which is kind of related to what we were just talking about with infrastructure and and how we pay for infrastructure. Um, This one's from Sean Whitehurst. Good morning, wheel bearings crew. Um, Well, actually, we're recording this one in the evening, but uh, what... You know, anyway, um, no getting around the political nature of my question. U.S. roads and bridges are not being maintained. Cars are getting heavier and more fuel efficient. Gas taxes are a stand-in for road use taxes. With fuel economy improving, are existing taxes lagging and keeping up with the maintenance cost? Toss in EVs. I have to pay like $80 a year for an alternate fuel sticker for my LEAF. Uh, It's a flat fee, not based on gross vehicle weight. Uh, Have there been improvements in road surface material? Do car makers do anything to help reduce our slow road 
degradation. On a lighter note, what's happening to old car prices? Uh, Miata's cost Miata's cost doubled. <laughs> S2000s are now more than MSRP when new. Old SUVs are skyrocketing. I, I thought bring a trailer was called that because the cars didn't run. Abandoned <laughs> projects. Now it looks like trailer queens. Cars and bids is just the same. It's just as insane. So let's start with the first part, the the, the road taxes. What do you guys think about that? All right. So we were trying to crunch this up beforehand and looking at the cost of what you're paying as a tax, like in your gas tax that you're saving by driving an EV. And like in California, and this was a year ago, it was almost 75 cents a gallon that you're paying just in taxes to the state of California normally. So even though you're paying more, like if you're saying like, oh my God, I'm paying 80 bucks, you're probably were paying a lot more for that when you are just paying to put gas in your tank. So you're probably still making out on the deal. I don't know that the state of California is because they're probably not making back what you are saving. Um, but I don't know that that's a very huge cost. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a pretty trivial cost compared to, you know, what most people pay in, in fuel taxes, you know, but the, you know, the reality is, you know, as you said, you know, gas taxes are a stand in for a road usage tax, you know, a toll. The more you drive, the more wear and tear you're putting on the roads. And, you know, the more you drive, the more fuel you're going to use. So, you know, it kind of makes sense to, you know, as as a relatively easy way to administer, you know, a, a road use fee as opposed to toll tolling, you know, to do that. There has been a lot of talk, you know, recently about switching over to, uh, you know, some sort of uh, vehicle miles traveled taxation plan, you know, eliminate the, the, the fuel tax and just go to a VM, you know, VMT tax that, you know, would be, you know, again, just a usage fee. And, you know, that could be adjusted, you know, by the vehicle weight, things like that. You know, the, the heavier the vehicle, the more wear and tear you're putting on it. What do you guys, what do you think? I understand the, the, the idea that VMT seems tidy. I think the problem with it is, again, it disproportionately hurts the people who can least afford it more than it actually addresses the issue of wear and tear on the roads. The biggest cause of wear and tear on the roads are large trucks that they've raised the weight limit back in the early 80s to, what is it, 60,000 uh, pounds, something like that. Uh, they're they're a lot heavier than they to were. Eight, so a lot 80, of eighty thousand. Eighty. Okay. So a lot of the highway infrastructure that was built before the early eighties wasn't engineered for that. So it just beats the crap out of everything. And we rely on trucks a lot, certainly for interstate, but intrastate as as well, and intercity. You know, so there's just a lot of trucks out there. That's driving a lot of the damage to the roads, versus you know, personal automobiles, which certainly they cause wear and tear on the roads, but not to the degree that a lot of large trucks do. And addressing it with those users is really what I'd prefer to see. I know it would make goods more expensive or, you know, cut into the profits of the, the shippers. And I, again, that just goes back to hurting people who can least afford it too, because it makes makes stuff expensive. There's, there aren't really any great tidy answers, I guess. Um, but I, I feel like the the large truck issue is is more of a problem about what's happening to infrastructure than uh, the, the gas tax right now. I, I, I don't think that gas is as expensive as it should be if what you want to do is maintain the roads and encourage more efficient use of a finite resource. But 
anytime you're raising taxes, somebody gets hurt. So it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, even if you have commercial vehicles paying that, if they make it so the commercial vehicles have to bear more the brunt of it, because they do cause more of the damage, you're 100% right, that's coming from big trucks. It's still not the company. In the end, those costs just get passed on, you know, so it's right. still going to hurt. It's still going to hurt the average Joe. You know, a company's not going to take a big hit on that and say, well, we'll just reduce our profits. It's going to get passed on somewhere. So one right. way or the and, other. <laughs> and, and if you, you know, if you say, OK, fine, you can't have trucks that are heavier than 40,000 pounds. You've just doubled the amount of trucks. Right. You double the amount of trucks. And now you've just, you know, so now you have other things that you're using. You know, you're running three trucks on that instead of two trucks or sort of one truck. And you're still doing the same thing. Now you got to pay for the extra truck and do all these things. And in the end, who pays for that? The consumer. You know, it it comes down, trickles down, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I I do like. I, I want to see more diligent study on it than just the like immediate freak out like oh please don't raise taxes like well hang on a second maybe we we raise something here we lower something else elsewhere that never happens no when i know thing and, lower what planet are you on where when it goes up here and it comes down there it goes up here and it stays the same i know i know that one goes up and this one it never goes down when do taxes go down dan i'm being an optimist i'm trying okay. <laughs> i mean you know if, if you if you were to make a, a change you know to some sort of vmt tax you know it does need to replace it does need to be a substitute for fuel taxes you can't it can't be an add-on it's got to mm-hmm. be a substitute and really as as we get into more alternative fuel vehicles whether it's you know hybrids plug-in hybrids or battery electrics you know i think that you know the, those vehicle the owners of those vehicles should be paying their share of the cost of road maintenance i agree with that especially when you consider that evs are generally heavier so yeah if right. you want to talk about you know i mean again right. an eight thousand pound ev isn't really going to damage the world like a sixty thousand or eighty thousand pound truck <laughs> but it's still like it's 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 something you know like there's 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 something to sort of dig into there uh yeah i i don't i don't know what the exact answer is but it, it shouldn't be um would you have an ev so you just you get to use the roads without without paying really for the upkeep of the roads you and you enjoy. And, um, you know, there's, there's also that side of it where corporations will say, well, why should we pay for it when we don't, we don't use it? And it's like, well, you do though. Your workforce certainly uses it to get to your place of business, to do the work for you. you And your customers use it to get to your place of business. Right. Um, so I, yeah, it, it, this all sounds very hostile. We sound (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we sound like we're having a little revolution on the podcast tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, what about the the other part of Sean's question? Um, the uh, the cost of old cars, the prices of old cars. They're insane. Yeah, I can't disagree. And I'm a no comment person. I never look at old cars. I like literally never look to see what old car prices are or what they would cost. So like, let me know when you guys are done with this one. Okay. <laughs> I will say like, cool. so if you're looking for even just like a couple of year old pickup, um, they're scarce in the ground and they, they're just expensive at dealers. And then there's that whole swath of cars from the, like the late seventies, mid to late seventies, all the way up to the nineties that there's this new wave of nostalgia for. And it could, like, so for example, when's the last time you saw an Escort GT? Never. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they all rusted so, away. 
So they didn't right. even, because none of them were on the road. My husband had one of those. He left pieces of it on the way back from Virginia <laughs> when we were in college. So that's why. <laughs> right. So you see one now and you're like, oh, that was so cool in 1993. And now you can have the cash to buy it. And then you get in a bidding war with another dude who's got the cash to buy it. And all of a sudden, this car that was like $15,000 when it was new has sold because it had a really nice set of pictures on bring a trailer for like $32,000. And you're just like, what is the matter with you? And it's not, a, <laughs> I mean, it's a fun toy, but it's not, it's not a great performance car. You could go that Elantra that we were talking about. It's going to be much better. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like that kind of thing is happening. And I don't know whether it's like right now we're all, we've spent a year stuck inside. We've got this pent up aggression about like wanting to go do something fun and driving is something you can do not in your house, but still alone. That's still fun if you enjoy it. And we haven't been spending as much. A lot of us at least haven't been spending as much, you know? So I've been paying for gas as much as I did in the, the years prior. So it helps the budget. Now you have some more disposable income. And so you can you can throw it at things. So yeah, the, the prices have gone through the roof. And it coincides with just a certain portion of the, the population hitting a certain age and income level. Um, Gen X is starting to flex its muscle. Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the cars that, that Sean mentioned is, you know, the Honda S2000, which is a fantastic car. And I'm just looking at bring a trailer, you know, at the recent sale prices, you know, most of them you know, in, in the last few months are going from, you know, in the 30 to $40,000 range, which is yeah, that's, more than they were that, brand new. Wow. But there that's was always going to be an expensive car. Like yeah. there's just, there's not that many of them and they were always special and, well, the, that's there, there's one here that uh, sold on February 17th, uh, 985 mile 2009 S2000 uh, club racer, $112,000. Oh, okay. So I mean, that's a 900 stupid. mile car. Like you're going to need to spend $4,000 putting every seal in that thing. Like yeah. it's been sitting. You're going to need to redo the brakes. Like, oh, well, maybe not because it was a race car. Like, right. You said a club car. Or, uh, um, uh, the, the the CR, the, the club racer. I mean, it, it was, it was the, the, uh, you know, the, the track version that they did um, limited. It was a limited edition track model. Okay. So it's not just low miles. Cause it was no used for a specific. I mean, there, there's another one here, a, a 2008 uh, CR 26,000 miles on it went for $67,000. That's see, that's, Guys, knock it off. I, I don't knock like seeing a trailer because of that. It's just, it's distorting the market. Um, yeah. And I just, everybody sit, thinks they're sitting on a gold mine now and it's whatever. It's fine. It's just going to push me into weirder and weirder stuff, which I'm okay with too. So we have one more question. Uh, this one from Bryn Barenhausen. Uh, hey folks, would love to hear your thoughts on this subject. The hyper branding car makers are doing. Badges are getting bigger and bigger. They're all over the cars. And now we have some some doing backlit badges. Yuck. I saw a Lexus with its badge lit up the other <laughs> night, and it looks horrible. Uh, I really dislike how big the badge has gotten on some new cars. It started with Mercedes-Benz when they relocated the hood ornament. Then as, a pick, and then as pickup grills grew, their badges grew too, not to mention the giant lettering scrawled across the tailgates. I think he's talking about Ram here. Um, <laughs> I was embarrassed when I had one of those for a week. I was like, that's, that's no. <laughs> I, uh, you know, when when they first launched those those huge badges on the tailgates a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I went to a backgrounder at the at the uh, FCA Design Dome, and we saw those. What the? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Fishing uh, wire and a hairdryer will take it right off. Uh, no, not really, because they're they're usually stamped into the. Uh, 
Oh, is uh, it really? In, yeah, into the tailgate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the big chrome ones, though, if you if it's like a, a applied that way, you can fishing line monofilament yeah. and a hairdryer will soften it up. Enough. Okay. Uh, anyway, now the big badges seem to be making their way down the lineups. Then you've got brands like Jeep that put all kinds of extra feature badges all over the car. And some makers put the brand and model all over the all over the interior. It's getting so out of hand and looks really tacky. Uh, di- speaking of which, did you notice, did you try counting up how many ponies there are in that Mach-E? You can't no, count that high. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> what? I, I, was, I, sh- I should have gotten looking for more Easter eggs too. And uh, all the hardware underneath. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah. This is something that Dave Parasek, uh, who's uh, the executive director of Ford icons uh, likes to do, especially on Mustangs. Um, when I was, when I was working there on the, and I was talking to him about the 2005 Mustang before it launched they you know, he was trying to put as many ponies on it as he could. At one point, I think the count was at uh, 26. Wow. There, there was even <laughs> one stamped under the hood. If, if you open the hood on a 2005 to 2008 Mustang and you take the, um, the insulation pad off, there's actually a pony stamped into the, the bracing under the, on the underside of the hood. Huh. Anyway, let me finish the, the email. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, gonna, uh, t- Nicole's like taking a nap. She's like, come on, guys. <laughs> no, you all know like, I just got a Tesla. Now it's late. I'm tired. I don't do good <laughs> okay. late, so I'm, I'm with right. you. Now. You all know I just got a Tesla. And while I'm not, tr- I'm trying not to be a fanboy, I do appreciate how restrained their badging is. Front and rear logos are reasonable size, skipping the model badge, though not sure why they bother with the dual motor badge. I guess it's all so to say that the car's design speak for itself. We don't need to be rolling billboards for a car maker, but I guess that's why they're doing it. Uh, I also think dealerships should be fined for adding stickers and license plate frames to cars. Well, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Well, the the license plate frames I can live with. Those are easy to take off stickers. You know, I hate, I hate when they add those on there. Um, So what do you think about all the, the badging? I don't mind the ones that come at like if your car, I don't like the ones the dealers stick on there, but if like Jeep decides to put on 85 different Jeep things that say it's a trail Hawk and trail rated and Jeep wave and, and four wheel drive and, and whatever, I'm okay with that. And I like the light up, uh, the little logo on the Mercedes that lights up on the gr- the badge. I love that to heck with you and your, you don't like the light up things. I like the light up thing. <laughs> I like that. Dang it. Mercedes. I like that. But that's so, like the light up badges on the Mercedes is optional too, right? Like you don't have it is. to you buy don't, it. Yeah, it's no, on certain models. It's an, it's an option in certain models and certain trims. And yeah, so you pay extra for that. I think it looks cool. I love seeing that coming at me on there. I'm like, Ooh, cool. He has light up one. I like it. I, yeah. I don't really, I get that it can feel a little tacky and uh, that's fine. If, if it's tacky, don't buy it. I, but I, I do. I, some of the badging is out of control. Um, but, the, you know, it's always kind of been like that, too. Like there were, you know, cars from I remember in my childhood. They'd say things like fuel injection. Like who really who cares? Or right. like five speed. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they'd have a special badge. For, who cares how many gears it has? Like, but <laughs> so whatever. Or right with, with like gear ratios just printed on the side of it, just you know, just in case. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. You know, for, yeah. Right, just listed on the side on the fender. <laughs> I mean, so, some people, you know, some people want a reminder of what they paid for. You know, I mean, think about cars back in the 1950s and 60s and how overstyled they were. You know, it 
you know, I think you think back to the, you know, to the Edsel and, you know, yeah. that giant horse collar grill that it had. And all of a sudden, you know, modern BMWs you know, seem kind of quaint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, or, or the, the, you know, the, like the gun sight taillight things that, yeah, yeah, those, those cars were so ornate. So yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right with it. It's fine. Um, and I get that you, you don't have to like it or you buy a restrained car. That's why there are choices. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I dual motor like, on the back of the Tesla, right? That tells everybody that you, you sprung for the big one, right? But, no, but so. nobody likes the dealer stuff. Are we in agreement with that? Oh, or absolutely. I hate the dealer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Big dealer logo stuck on the side and a dealer little thing around your plate. Those are annoying. Yeah. Or like the, the pinstripes that they charge you extra for. Or the Yeah. Or the, the Bostonian um, vinyl top. No. <laughs> My mom paid extra for pinstripes on her, wait for it, Honda Accord. <laughs> and she thought it was she thought it was amazing. I'm like, it looks great, mom. <laughs> but look, as long as she's happy. She was right? happy. Sorry. She loved those little gold pinstripes. You paid your money? Yep. She it made her happy, so I guess it was worth the money, right? I, I mean gold on black, that's classy. That's all right. <laughs> she thought it made it's her John Player like special, you know, like the 40, 1970s. Like, she's like, sense. look, I've got pinstripes. I'm like, ooh, go mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's enough for tonight. Um, yes, I'm being handed a note that says, "When are you going to be done?" So I think it's time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.